Well, thank you, Elizabeth. I think that's going to be very hard to follow because I, um, I've been sitting there thinking, well, this is a very conventional sort of research paper, so um, and so there's, there's, there's not going to be any fireworks. Um, uh, but what I'm going to talk to you is, is more sort of practical, following on really from the last point, how can we ensure that our students are prepared for this post-truth world? And I'm going to be arguing that we can do that through involving students, all students, in research. And that's something that we've been doing at UCL um, that uh, has been a bit of a challenge at times. So just, just a little bit about me. I'm, um, my expertise is in teaching and learning in higher education. Um, and as I will tell you, I did, I did originally start off as a scientist, uh, but now uh, very much into education. And I supervise quite a lot of doctoral students and master's students doing their research in education. Um, but I've somewhat more recently come to think that research is something that undergraduates um, would benefit a lot more from, not only sort of postgraduate research students. Um, and so that sort of um, brought me to this topic. So what I'm going to talk to you about, first of all, I'll, I'll do a little bit on my take on why I think um, um, what skills and citizenship um, we need to develop for our students for this post-truth world. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about research-based education and um, what this is and why I think um, we need to take a, a bit of a thought about what we actually mean by undergraduates doing research. And to help with this, I found some theory on um, threshold concepts. Is that a familiar? Some of you are nodding, so that's something you're familiar with. And I'm also um, going to look at um, the idea that research isn't just something you do at the end of your course, you do a sort of research project. It could be something that's longitudinal and integrated into a whole programme. And that's where um, I will talk to you about um, some work I've been doing on iterative assessment. And then I'm going to present to you um, a study I've done of five um, research-based education programmes and talk to you about some of the challenges that um, arose in these five programmes in trying to take this sort of longitudinal approach to um, research with, the, with, with undergraduate students. Um, so first of all, um, I don't really want to... Um, repeat what Neil very um, eloquently introduced at the beginning of this session about what the post-truth world is. Um, this is something I've been thinking about, but these are some of the, um, the sort of um, ideas that we associate with post-truth. And the question about whether these alternative facts, whether this is a new phenomenon, is something I've been pondering about, um, because um, there's been challenges, there's been um, relatives, there's been questions about what is knowledge around for a long time, but I do think with um, the digital media there is some kind of escalation of the amount of information and knowledge that is circulating. Um, so I think possibly we are in a sort of new phase, but I think that is up for debate. Just some examples of conspiracy theories that you'll be familiar with. Um, did Was the 9-11 um, 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 orchestrated by the US government? Well, the Malaysian plane disappeared, it was hijacked by the, by the Chinese, Donald Trump on global warming, all things that you're familiar with. And sadly, my 13-year-old is very easily convinced by. But I would hope that undergraduates would be able to you know, take those sort of conspiracy theories with an idea that they are sort of, um, ridiculous and there's obviously uh, they are um, alternative facts 
uh, fake news or whatever. But there's, there are other things that are a bit more sort of subtle, like, for example, the link between MMR vaccine and autism that has um, been uh, circulating for, for many years about whether there is a link there. Um, that may be um, that there is um, and that, and the sheer volume of pieces of information, knowledge, um, different points of view, statistics about Brexit or whatever, that, uh, that we'll have to deal with. And, and how to make judgments about um, whether these are reliable sources of information and whether this is useful information or not, or misinformation. That's something we're having to do all the time. So that's led me to think about what is the role of higher education? Does higher education have a role um, to help students prepare for this kind of very um, complex world? And um, I think um, criticality is, has, is, is being mentioned. and. Um, to be able to develop some kind of critical uh, faculties is going to be very important to judge knowledge and data reliability. And scepticism about populism and um, alternative facts and the ability to be able to ask good questions. Um, what, do we, what, what is the next question if you're uh, presented with some knowledge? And um, I think these are things that research, undertaking research can help us with. And... Um, I think back to my first experience of research was when I did a chemistry degree, I had to do a year of research as part of that degree. And before I did that research, I had a very naive view of science. I thought it was um, established truths and facts. Anything I read in the textbooks I thought was you know, uncontrovertible. I was very easily persuaded by anything that um, was in a book. Um, but then when I undertook the research, it, with a laboratory, with other doctoral students and, and with um, a, a supervisor, I started to realise that um, science was far more messy and complex and that um, it, uh, a results were open to interpretation and that people could present results in a positive light and that there were disagreements about uh, what, what knowledge was emerging from the research. And, so, and it was really quite a shock, quite a revelation to me. And that did enable me to start... Um, being much more um, critical about um, any claims in the media or any facts that were coming my way. Um, and, but it was quite an uncomfortable journey. And I'm wondering if whether we could, um, if students undertake research in whatever, not necessarily science, in any discipline, maybe we could make that journey a bit less uncomfortable because um, otherwise, um, doing research, doing your research project becomes something very unpopular that students don't want to do. Um, so how can we make that into a positive experience of what you're thinking of? Um, so this is where, the, where research-based education comes in. Um, research, there's, a, there's a lot read about research-based education and um, there's sort of um, a general sort of feeling that it's a good thing for undergraduates to do some kind of have some kind of research or inquiry experience because um, Healy and Jenkins take a broader view of what they mean by research um, and that to include sort of questioning and inquiry, not necessarily new knowledge generation, but having that sort of in inquiry-based um, view. And I think. Um, as it meets, was talking a bit more about the research teaching nexus this afternoon, so I'll be interested in hearing about that. Um, and so there is this this um, this movement towards including research, which has been going for a long time in undergraduate degrees. Some of the um, studying of this this kind of research from Taravan and Logue 
and suggests that really the only students who benefit are possibly stronger students or students who want to go on and do um, further research, go and do postgraduate study, so that it's, it's not really benefiting the majority of students. Um, and this idea was, as I said before, of an end-of-year research project um, becomes a sort of hurdle to overcome. And, um, and, it, and, and I think the same happens when I teach at master's level. Suddenly the students are doing some kind of research <coughs> and dissertation and they've got really very little idea how to do it. It, it becomes something quite scary and frightening. And so um, Dilly Fung, um, who I've worked with at UCL, has suggested that... Um, we need to come to some kind of research development over time. Research needs to be integrated into the whole program in what she calls a research through line. And what this means is that students have multiple opportunities to, to undertake some kind of research activity and have that assessed, and then maybe can gather the, um, several, these several um, examples of research, um, put them together in some kind of portfolio at the end of the course. So it's not just about sticking a research project on the end of a program. It, um, the research is much more integrated into the program. Um, I'm just really going to skip this because I think it takes too much time. But there are actually research development sort of schemes available. There's one from Adelaide, and you might have come across the VTI research development scheme for um, postgraduates. Um, so, so. What I'm start, being started to think about is what, what actually is research development? How can you de develop or how can we help students develop the kind of attributes and skills to be able to undertake uh, research or inquiry um, so that they, they get something meaningful out of it? And um, this has led me to, to think that actually a lot of things we, we take for granted in research are actually could be quite challenging, quite problematic doing research, as I found in the year I spent in the laboratory, doing research is very challenging and, and can be, is, is not something that you're just going to sail through. So this idea of a threshold concept that Mayer and Land have come across, it's the idea that um, of crossing into a new way of thinking that means that you are, you've permanently moved to a new way of thinking and there's no going back. And the sort of examples they give, there's some sort of very obvious ones, like in physics, understanding that a heavy object doesn't drop faster than a lighter object, um, which um, this sort of Galile Galileo myth. Um, and um, but there's also um, some in, in economics. Anybody an economics person here? Something called opportunity costing, which is um, a sort of threshold concept, understanding that if you um, it, I mean, I'm not sure I even understand it. It's something to do with um, if you spend more money in one uh, one uh, one area, you've got to spend less in, in another. That, that kind of um, sort of approach to economics. So there's every discipline has one. So you probably know what the um, threshold concepts, the difficult areas that students have to, um, to to master in your discipline. Otherwise, students get stuck, and then they can't you know, they can't move forward. And um, it might even take quite a bit of time to sort of move across the threshold. Um, and interestingly, um, quite a few writers have identified research, um, aspects of research, as, as threshold concepts. Um, things like, um, uh, Harvey Whisker talk about things like forming an argument, 
how to do it, how to actually argue something in, in whatever discipline, in social science, um, theorising, knowledge creation, how to do analysis, um, the methodological or epistemological research paradigm, all those kind of things could be um, involved with threshold concepts. Well, that's practically everything in research. And um, Tim Timmerman at al. Um, even suggests that something that might seem fairly straightforward, like doing a literature review, um, involves um, thresh threshold concepts, and it's something that students don't get it, and then once they get it, then that, that's it, they can move on. The students will be very blocked. Critical thinking is another um, sort of type of thinking where, where um, students can um, not just accept everything, they can start to challenge views, think in their own way, and, and take alternative and different, different perspectives and global perspectives on their ideas. Um, and um, that sort of critical thinking, we don't even necessarily all agree what critical thinking is. Um, but um, Arum and Ros Rosker have done their, in their study, um, in their book, Academically Adrift, which you might have come across, they suggest that very few undergraduates actually leave university with the ability to think critically. Um, and that is something that isn't really getting developed um, at the university. So these could be that they, these are sort of threshold concepts that, that, that students may or, may or may not be crossing these thresholds and um, um, becoming, uh, mastering these, these sort of areas. The other thing that I found was quite interesting to look at is if we're expecting students to undertake research, is how to um, enable students to do research throughout their whole course. And students um, uh, will need time to master a threshold concept. And often we just expect them to give one session on how to do a literature review and expect them to have got it. And um, if um, this, is a, this is something that's going to be quite challenging for students, they may need many assessment opportunities um, and scaffoldings, starting off um, with some support and then, um, then, then that report, support reducing, which is you know, sort of thing we do in our doctoral supervision. And I've also written quite a lot about um, the kind of feedback that students need during this sort of transition um, from not understanding and knowing to mastering the, 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 the concept. Um, and I've talked quite a lot about ipsative assessment and feedback. I'm not going to go into it now. I have actually um, put a couple of books of, uh, on there, a bit of uh, uh, self-publicity there, um, if you want to look at them over lunchtime. Um, but basically, what an ipsative assessment is, it's um, an assessment that's um, where you compare a performance to a previous performance. It's just like a... Um, um, a self-comparison rather, rather than comparing a student's performance to everybody else or to external standards. Um, so it's about progress, <coughs> basically. It's a, it's a progress report rather than an outcomes report. And um, what I found in some of the research I've done is that um, when students are struggling to get good outcomes, they, they're not made, they're not got there yet, having something about progress towards the outcomes can be very motivating. Um, it's, it's like, like a personal best um, in athletics. That is um, um, a personal uh, time for running the race. It's not about winning the race or being the fastest. 
it's a self-comparison. It's, it's a, the motivating of trying to um, better your own performance rather than always being worried that you're not the winner or you know the best. Um, but anyway, so there's there's quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of um, more on that, but I haven't really got time to go in, into because um, I want to go back to this research-based education um, and. Um, if research-based education is going to be something helpful for undergraduates to prepare them for this post-truth world, the question I wanted to ask was, um, is this potential of research-based education actually being met in um, an institution that does promote, promote research through lines and encourages students to develop research skills throughout their course? And at, at UCL, um, I found five programs that were supposedly exemplar programs that were really had a really good research through line um, publicized and um, I uh, contacted people running them um, and did some interviews with them to find out how it worked and what the challenges were and I'll just briefly talk about them there was an archaeology degree um, and this had um, Link, modules that linked up um, uh, with research and inquiry uh, that all connected to a final um, portfolio. The engineering degrees also had, um, they had a final end of, end of course research project but it was very much linked to research skills workshops. Problem-based learning was in the um, engineering, the biomedical engineering degree and this was a bit, a bit like what Elizabeth was talking about, having, they had um, uh, scenarios based on real-world problems to solve um, and several of those linked up throughout the whole three years. The BA Education Studies had a tutorial system that went through the whole course looking at research skills and finally the BSc in Natural Sciences had um, a separate um, research module throughout the whole of the three years that they were, um, well I found that they hadn't actually doing it, they were setting up that um, would be um, not for credit, which I think is something I'll return to, which was um, uh, an interesting idea. So um, I, I, I talked, to, talked to all these people to find out what was going on in their research um, development, whether, how the students were responding and what was happening and how it all worked. And three, three challenges um, emerged from, this, uh, from this, this, these, these interviews I did. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about each one. Um, the first one is um, they, they found it actually difficult to talk about, to identify what disciplinary and generic research skills they were expecting the students to develop. So, so that was just conceptualising the skills was a bit of a challenge. The second challenge was recording the um, uh, research, accumulation, enrichment of research in some kind of assessment system. That was another um, bit of uh, uh, something that came out as a slightly problematic. And the final one was how to support students in developing their um, research, in their research development, so that they could become self-regulating and independent in their thinking, which would then prepare them. Um, when they go out into the world and that the idea there is that again it's it's for all students not only for students who are going to go on to postgraduate research degrees so I'll just say a little bit about each of these challenges and how and um, think about how we might um, deal with them the, 
The first one um, was about um, conceptualising the disciplinary and um, uh, gene uh, generic research skills. And the, in the, they all came up with a whole list of um, general academic skills that, they, that would be developed during their programme that would be very familiar to you um, and, and not really very surprising. And, and also combined with some sort of specialist, maybe laboratory or programming skills for, for some of the, the, the science um, programmes. And interestingly, those are some of the things that were identified as potentially involving threshold concepts. So these are, um, you know, there's sort of this assumption that students are going to acquire these skills, but it might not be quite as straightforward as that. Um, and there was. I think we tend to assume that, that students will develop their communication, they will be able to create an argument without really um, giving them enough opportunities to, um, to, to grow in that particular area. And there were different ways that the skills were developed. Um, in the, um, the natural sciences, this is a quote that you can read. Um, I won't read it through. And you, you can see in this in this instance, they are introducing new skills each year throughout the three-year undergraduate program. And so, um, which is fine. But of course, again, if um, some of the skills aren't mastered in year one, there's not really a chance to revisit them. So that could be a problem for some students if they're ex if, if they are. Um, it's assumed that in year one. <coughs> They will cover their practical skills. Year two, they will cover their communication skills, and then they're not. Then there's no chance of picking up if any any students um, are missing out or not quite quite getting there. But the um, the other programmes, the biomedical engineering and the archaeology, they did have a sense that you might need to um, what they call ramp up the skills over the years and and have a more developmental approach. So if you have a look at this quote from an archaeologist. So, so they were hoping um, that, and interesting is the word hope, they were hoping that students would start off needing a lot of help in qu asking questions, that by the dissertation stage they would be able to do it. Um, but again, um, it's not a very systematic way of doing it and um, it does seem to be a bit um, relying on hope. And this takes us to the, the second challenge how do you re actually record whether or not students are developing their research skills or enriching their research skills? Um, and it seemed that a lot of this was done through self student self-assessment and self-reflection, which often wasn't accredited. For example, the BA Ed, Ed had a portfolio um, which wasn't was not for credit and had very not surprisingly rather mixed student engagement. Um, the, in the engineering masters, um, the, the better students were, seemed to be very aware that they were developing certain skills, but that again, that's, um, that's not all students. And there seemed to be no sort of ipsative approach to capturing progress. Um, and one of the reasons for that came out from this quote from the archaeologist, that what the students are doing is 
they're very much focused on their marks and this is um, i think elizabeth might mention it as well they want to get so much percentage they want what are the facts we're going to need to pass the exam get good marks and they, if something wasn't um, part of that they weren't really um, willing to put the effort into it so um just to sort of conclude really so what can we do to um support students um in the sciences, there were lab technicians and doctoral students providing support um, and personal tutors. But again, this was rather sort of ad hoc um, uh, tutors who, you again, it was, um, you hoped that the tutor would be able to help and, and, find, and identify students who weren't progressing or PhD students working in the laboratory would identify students who weren't progressing. But then... And then the, um, this is the natural scientists recognise that well, perhaps our PhD students will need training to be able to do that. But how are we going to do this? So there was um, a bit of a, an issue really with um, how the students are going to be supported. They did have a bit more of a systematic method of support in the, um, the archaeology and the engineering. Um, where they particularly talk about the archaeology where they had meetings where they did look at individual students and their progress which seemed to be quite um, a useful thing to do um, because they were particularly concerned about um, mental well-being of students which is um, obviously something that's very high on the agenda um, and um, and that and how that linked with their sort of academic pro progress um, so so they, there was a, that's a sort of possible way of doing that so to have some thoughts, so if we are going to, um, if research is going to be a route to, to prepare and help students to, to face this, this post-truth world, perhaps we need some kind of research development framework, which we can look at how students are developing the skills in judging sources, being critical, asking questions. Perhaps we need an assessment system that will help um, students um, identify and master threshold concepts. And perhaps we need um, some, some, some sort of kind of support system for students um, to ensure that it's not just the, you know, the, the really good ones who are going to go on and be researchers anyway that are benefiting, to ensure that we are targeting the whole range of students, um, that they can all really get something out of research. And I just wanted, I've just got a minute, just to finish by um, being a bit sceptical myself, because I'm say, saying all the time and assuming that if we can get this research-based education right, then we will have these students who are, um, you know, prepared to, to reject misinformation, not be persuaded by uh, persuaded by populism, and be um, have this sort of critical faculties. Um, but of course, I don't know that. Have we got any evidence of that? And that would need um, quite a bit more research. And I and I would love to do some research. Um, to that, that, that might demonstrate that students who t undertake research and undergraduate, as, und as undergraduates do um, develop um, a more, um, are more prepared for the kind of society <coughs> they're going to face. But how to do that research, I'm, I'm, I'm not at all, I'm, I'm looking for ideas really, because how to follow up students after they've left and gone out into the, into the world of employment and how they're, whether they actually transfer the research skills that they've acquired at university to 
everyday life is an interesting question. So if anybody's got any ideas of how I might do that research, I will offer you a copy of one of my books at <laughs> <laughs> the lunch break. Um, because, um, and it's got to be obviously manageable, but within, you know, small research budgets and things, I'd, I'd love to have the ideas. Um, so, so sorry if it's been a bit fast, there was a lot to, to get through, but I'll be very happy to take any questions. Thank you.